Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be covering Chapter 18 of Mysteries of Creation, pages 169 to 180. The title of the chapter is called Adam, Which is Many. We'll dedicate the program and then we'll get right into the reading. O God, the Eternal Father, we come to Thee in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. We ask Thee, Father, to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions, that we might have Thy Spirit to be with us, that we might might have Thy Spirit to inspire us and to confirm truth as we go over this topic of the doctrine of Adam. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for Adam and for what he sacrificed to come down to this earth to start us off as a human race. We thank thee, Father, for Eve, for what she did in her wisdom to partake of the fruit that we might be in a world with the trials and temptations that we need to grow, to overcome and to become understanding of the experiences of life that we might seek thy son, that we might be brought into one with thee through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank thee, Father, for what he has done for us to become the second Adam to show us the way in which thou would have us go, to be a teacher and to be the light and the example of life that we might follow him and come back into thy presence. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for the plan of salvation and for the plan of exaltation. We thank thee, Father, that you do not give up on us as we learn and grow that your love is ever-present, even when we can't feel it. That we know that your love is without bounds and that you are truly our Father in heaven. We love thee, Father, and we come to thee at this time and dedicate this time unto thee that we might learn of thy servant Adam. And we do these things in the name of our Messiah, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Adam, which is many. Chapter 18 of Mysteries of Creation, pages 169 to 180. We are told very little in the scriptures about the archangel called Michael. However, what is what little is mentioned gives us an indication that he has a very important part to play in man's salvation. Daniel is told that Michael was his prince, and he wrote about the end of the world, saying, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of troubles such as never was. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. The Ancient of Days As mentioned before, some noted Bible scholars 
recognized the Ancient of Days to be God the Father. This recognition is based upon Daniel's description of such supreme power and authority belonging to the Ancient of Days. One such scholar wrote, quote, In vision, Daniel witnessed the enactment of a drama of magnificent splendor as the mighty God, to whom the title of the Ancient of Days is given, and presents to his son, Jesus Christ, a kingdom so that all people, nations, languages, and languages may serve him. The Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, or on page 170 at 7%. Continuing to recount the happenings of the awe-inspiring scene that he saw, the prophet speaks of the thousand times ten thousands who minister unto him, the heavenly hosts who do his bidding. He then sees the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and presenting himself before the Ancient of Days to receive his kingdom. Real quick, like, in the actual scripture, it says one like unto the Son of Man. So, uh, it doesn't say the Son of Man. Um, although, one like unto the Son of Man could be um, Jesus Christ because he is like unto Adam, who is the Son of Man. But it could also be, uh, well, here's a different interpretation. The first is last and the last is first. So in the beginning we have Adam who comes as um, as the morning star. And the sons of the morning star are Jesus who is the bright morning star who comes in the history, the meridian of time or the, the noon of the history of this celestial earth. And that at the end of time you've got another who comes as the evening star, and that's God the Witness or the Holy Ghost or who we would call Messiah Ben Joseph. And he comes to prepare the way for Adam and also for Jesus Christ to return. It's not just about Jesus, um, but he is like unto the Son of Man. And if you consider the Son of Man, Jesus, one like unto him is one who is very much like him, who is also a Messiah, and that would be Messiah ben Joseph, who would be God the witness come in the flesh on the earth. And that when he is put to death in um, Revelations chapter 11, with, as one of the two witnesses in, uh, in Revelations chapter 12, it shows that he is taken up to his throne to be seated next to God. And at that point, he's resurrected. And that it, that would be um, God the witness. Joseph Smith taught that, um, that the Holy Ghost would come in due time and that he would do the same or similar things as Jesus did. And uh, basically, Revelations chapter 11 talks about this man having a three-year ministry with his witness. So there's two witnesses. And that they're put to death. They lay in the street, not in a tomb, for three days and three nights. 
And when I asked God about this many years ago, he told me that with Jesus, um, they put him in a tomb and there was no one to witness his resurrection. They witnessed the resurrected Savior, but they did not witness the actual resurrection. But with the one who comes at the end of days, that he is laid in the street. He does not have the honor of having a tomb. And they mock him and his witness as they lay dead in the streets. And then the whole world sees these two witnesses be resurrected. And so with Jesus Christ, there could be some doubt. But with the witness, there will be no doubt that he that God does raise his his son his sons from the dead and his sons would be the sons of the morning star which would be Jesus Christ or Yeshua who is the bright and morning star and Messiah ben Judah who is the king Messiah and then Messiah ben Joseph or the evening star who is the son of the morning and he Uh, would be resurrected for the whole world to see. So when we get into Daniel chapter 7 and we're talking about this, I know it's not specifically on the topic of Adam, but a lot of people want, like especially the Christians, they want everything to be about Jesus all the time. Every little hint of anything in the scriptures, it's all about Jesus. And I think that the Latter-day Saints kind of go down that path as well, but... I believe that when it says one like unto the Son of Man, it's not talking about Jesus or the Ancient of Days, who is uh, Michael, who became Adam. I personally believe that it is that when the witness is put to death, he's resurrected and there's a time of troubles. And then when he comes back down with Adam and Andiamen and all of that, He'll come back down on Mount Zion, which will be placed back in the Gulf of Mexico where it was taken from. And that when it says that he comes down out of the clouds, he's walking down from the mountain through the clouds, who is one like unto the Son of Man. And it says that they take him to the Ancient of Days. So somebody takes this individual to where Adam and Andiamid is, and he comes down out of the clouds of Mount Zion, Uh, which was part of the landmass of the city of Enoch, um, the city of Salem and all of that. And he comes down as one like unto the Son of Man, but not the Son of Man himself. And he is given a kingdom because he rules over the political portion of the kingdom of God during the millennium. And Jesus Christ, he is over the theological portion of the kingdom of God in the millennium. And they work under the direction of the Ancient of Days or Adam, who is Michael. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because not a lot of people talk about this. Um, Most people go down the different um, avenue that has been taught to them, but I don't believe that that is a correct interpretation of Scripture and that um, that the one like unto the Son of Man is one like unto Jesus himself. He is a Messiah. He is a soldier and a warrior, and he is uh, Messiah ben Joseph, and he comes to prepare the way for Jesus Christ to return. So... All right, Um, let me just see here. 
And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And that's Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. And Jesus Christ, he also has a kingdom like that. But they're two different sides of the same kingdom. You've got the theological kingdom. And you've got the political portion of the kingdom of God on the earth. And there are these two sons of the morning star or the sons of the ancient of days. These two messiahs, they come down and they serve the father in their, in their place. So anyway, continuing on, the ancient of days is now t- taking his his seat in judgment and aspects of his wrath are beginning to manifest themselves on earth. Soon his son, Jesus Christ will return in the clouds of heaven and in righteousness, he will judge and make war against all evil. And that comes from um, a publication called destiny magazine, December, 1953 volume 24, number 12. The prophet Joseph Smith explained why Adam was called the Ancient of Days, quote, Commencing with Adam, who was the first man, who is spoken of in Daniel as being the Ancient of Days, or in other words, the first and oldest of, the, of all, the great grand progenitor of whom it is said, in another place, he is Michael. And it's talk, he's talking, Joseph Smith's talking about so in Daniel chapter 7, we know that the Ancient of Days sits upon this throne and that he's got all these angels who minister to him. But if you go to Daniel chapter 12, it actually tells you the name of, of the man who's called the Ancient of Days and his name is Michael. So in another, getting back to Joseph Smith, in another place he is called Michael because he was the first and father of all, not only by progeny, but the first to hold the spiritual blessings to whom was made known the plan of ordinances for the salvation of his posterity unto the end and to whom Christ Christ was first revealed and through who in Christ has been revealed from heaven and will continue to be revealed from henceforth teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith page 167 now we're on page 171 at 15, uh, 16%. And Adam for every world. We learn that Michael came down to earth and became Adam. So he took upon himself the name of Adam. And as I've talked about before, he took upon himself the name of God, the eternal father, who is Adam, my man. So Michael, it, to honor his Heavenly Father and, and our eternal Heavenly Father, the first and the greatest, Michael, as an exalted being, took upon himself the name of Adam to honor God, the eternal Father, whose name is Adam, amen. Continuing on, here again, names, titles are applicable to a time or condition rather than to an individual person. 
the name of Adam has a special meaning, meaning directed to a position, office, or mission. Furthermore, there are many Adams. The scriptures say that male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when he, when they were created. Genesis chapter 5 verse 2. And again, the first man of all men have I called Adam, which is many. And that comes from the book of Moses, chapter 1, verse 34. Dr. Frank, Frank Salisbury commented on this, quote, Because of the syntax, this statement is a little confusing. Is Adam the first of all men on all worlds created by God? Are there many Adams? Or are there many men? Perhaps a logical explanation. Considering the, the verses before and after, which discuss many worlds created by God, is that each of these worlds has an Adam who is the first man for that world, and that there are many worlds and hence many Adams. And quote the creation, page 66. Since there is a lamb slain on every earth to atone for the for a fall, it follows that there must also be an Adam to make that fall. Since sorrow and temptation are necessary for man's exaltation, there must also be a tempter or a devil. The true story of this world and every story is simply this: every world has an Adam, a Christ and a devil. They are necessary offices or positions for each world. As Brigham Young explained, every earth has its redeemer and every earth has its tempter. Journal of Discourses, volume 14, page 71. Brigham Young also explained the definition of the word Adam. And now we're on page 172 at 25% through the reading for today. The name that was given to Adam was more ancient than he was. It was the name of a man long before him who enjoyed the priesthood. The name Adam was given him because he was the first man. Ag- Adam signifies the first man and Eve signifies the first woman. And that comes from Doctrine of the Priesthood. Um, Let's see here. President Brigham Young's Doctrine on Deity, uh, compiled by Fred Collier, Volume 2, page 103. And like, real quick, Eve is an English transliteration of Hava. It's Adam and Hava. I don't know why they changed her name, but... um, Hava was the name of God the Eternal, uh, God the Eternal, Eternal Mother, sorry, God the Eternal Mother, and Michael's wife, Ashura, took upon herself the name of Hava to honor God the Eternal Mother. So when they talk about God the, God the uh, Eternal Mother, that's, that's Hava Amen who is the wife of Adam, amen. 
Michael being the first man for this earth took upon himself the name of Adam to honor God the Eternal Father and Ashura, Michael's wife, took upon herself the name of Hava to honor God the Eternal Mother. Further explanation by Brigham Young describes the mission or work of an Adam and an Eve. Real quick, I know that there's some of you out there that might be saying, well, how do you know that stuff? Well, if you know anything about this podcast or who I am or my history, you will know that I am a prophet, seer, and revelator, kind of like Samuel the Lamanite. And God has uh, foreordained me to teach the people to prepare people for Zion's redemption. I am an eyewitness of the Father and the Son, who I have seen first in the Spirit back in 1995. Um, when I was baptized, I was taken up by Jesus Christ. I was taken to the, the temple in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Jesus brought me through the temple and up into the middle tower on the east side of the the building underneath the angel Moroni and I I was instructed to walk into that room and he stayed outside of it and I walked into that room and I stood in the presence of the father but I did not see him but I could feel him and I heard him talk to me and he said that I would be the last prophet before the return of Jesus Christ after that um That was a spiritual experience. I was not in my flesh at that time. I was taken out of my body and I was in the spirit when that happened. And that confused me because I was very anti-Mormon. I was a Baptist. Um, That was in 1995. In 1996, I had a very, um, we'll just say a very bad time. And uh, I tried to commit suicide. I was uh, I got into drugs because uh, I wanted to die because of neglect and abuse and uh, a lot of things that happened to me when I was younger and um, I was found and uh, they saved my life and I wrote a, I wrote got a letter and I told him if he would heal me talking about my drug addictions and my alcoholism and if he would show me the truth I would serve him for the rest of my life. It wasn't long after that that I met the the missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. When I asked God if Joseph Smith was a true prophet, the Holy Spirit came down on me like hot oil. That's the only way I know how to describe it. It was like it was being poured into me from the top of my head, flowing like hot, warm oil down through my whole soul. And I was completely filled with this warmth and this overwhelming love of God. And I heard physically the angels of God singing praises to his name. It was an overwhelming experience. And from that point forward, I have never been addicted to illicit drugs ever again. I was healed in an instant. All of my drug addictions, all of my addictions were taken from me at that point and um, because of that I actually ended up homeless because the people who I I was living with were very anti-Mormon and uh, the church did not help me at all 
uh, even though I was converted. Um, but God saw to it that he, he notified my grandfather, who heard his voice, tell him to find me and to send me on a, a mission for the LDS church, which he did. So I, I got my endowments out in 1997. I got my patriarchal blessing. In my patriarchal blessing, it says that I have been given the gift of eternal life. Not that I qualify for it or not that I will get it in the future, but it was a past tense. I have. When I asked God what that meant, he said how it was even possible that somebody like me could have my calling and election made sure or be given the gift of eternal life. He said, it's not because of what you've gone through in this life or who you are in this life. It's because of who you were before you came here and who you were forwarding to be. And I asked for many years what that even meant. And in 2003, as I was asking again how it was even possible that I could have my calling election and be sealed up to eternal life, I was taken up in the flesh, in my body, to a place uh, called Mount Vashel, uh, which later on I found out it means the mountain of the beautiful God, or Vash means beautiful and L means God. Like, I don't know, that was many years later, I was like, I was like, what does Vashel mean? Like, why did he call it Mount Vashel? And then I found out. And I, like, finally one day it dawned on me, oh, that's two words. Because I know, I know that, I know some Hebrew. And I was like, oh, that's two words. So I looked up Vash and I looked up El and it's beautiful God. I was like, wow, that is so amazing. But this experience, I was taken, well, I wasn't taken. I was taken to the base of this mountain. I was told to wash off in this stream, and then I was told to follow this path, this dirt path up this mountain. And after several hours of walking in the sun, in the sun, uh, feeling the breeze, smelling the dust in the air, like just the mountain and the sage, because there's lots of sage up there, I came into a clear. Uh, into pine trees, and then I came into this clearing, and there was a small temple there. Probably something bigger than a stake center. Maybe like the the temple in Monticello. That's the one it reminds me of. But this was in 2003. And anyway, so I was told um, to take off my shoes, and I was told to enter in and, and obtain my calling and election. I entered into the building, and I went to the back of this corridor. There's like a lobby kind of an entrance room and then that's off to the side and there was these really cool stones and these chandeliers that looked like the stones of the brother of Jared they just gave their own light like really bright light to light up this whole room but like the walls gave their own light there was a marble bench um going down this hallway which is where I was headed and there was these white roses in a great big old vase on the table, and they were white, and they were giving off their own light with their green stems and their white petals. And anyway, so I went down to the end of this, kind of like a hallway, and there was this this cur- curtain that was very thick, 
and it went from the top of the door down to the bottom and it hung from an iron rod and it had these gold um, hoops that held the curtain up and when I put my hand through and walked into that room it was like walking in love times infinity just an ineffable overwhelming power of God's love and I saw a light at the other end of the room and I made my way towards the light. And when I got closer to the light, I saw that there was a man, one man, standing in the light. And as I got closer, I I realized who it was, and I fell flat on my face. And he instructed me to get up and to come towards him, and he opened his arms to me, and I embraced him. That was our Father in heaven that I embraced, which is why I am the witness. Um, because I'm a witness, I an eyewitness, like Joseph Smith was an eyewitness. But I also embraced him in the flesh, which means that I'm more than just a witness. I'm, I'm a witness of his resurrection as well, not just Jesus Christ's. And I did see Jesus Christ after that. But anyway, so when I when I embraced him, I knelt down. He told me to kneel down on your feet, and I asked him what he was doing, and he told me he was sealing me up to himself that I might be sealed up unto eternal life. So I was foreordained to have my calling and election be sure and be sealed up unto eternal life. And I was told about that in my patriarchal blessing. And, and God told me, it's not because of who you are in this life, it's because of who you were. And after that, I was physically sealed up. He put his physical hands upon my head. Um, light emanated from me to the point where I was so distracted because I was not expecting any of this at all but like the light just pushed it over the top and I did not hear what he was saying and I wouldn't know what he was saying for another 10 years but I did know that he told me that he was sealing me up unto himself directly that I might be sealed up unto eternal life 10 years later I realized um, oh I guess it was January of 2013, God revealed to me what he said in that blessing when he put his hands upon my head. And at that point, I was told that I was given the fullness of the priesthood and all of the keys to the kingdom um, and the church, all of them, um, and the priesthood. And um, I was instructed on some other things as well. But so... I'm kind of like, I guess you would consider me like a Samuel the Lamanite. I've come to warn the people, to prepare the people, to repent and turn back to God's ways, which he restored in the restoration, and also uh, to prepare people who will redeem Zion. I've also been uh, placed as a witness, so when I talk about these things, um, God told me to be bold in my witness and not to, to let back. Like, he, he wants me to share these things, which is kind of hard because um, a lot of people <clears throat> consider me um, 
a kook and they it's just it's a pain i don't i do like sharing it with believers but there's that whole thing about like you know don't cast your pearls before swine i try not to but as being a witness and being bold in my witness i have to speak the truth yeah, and if there are consequences that come with that, then I've had to deal with those consequences over the years, which are not always easy. But um, but this is what God has entrusted me to do. Another thing that, um, because I have been sealed up directly to the Father, and I've been given the fullness of the priesthood, which comes with a line of authority that is the shortest of all other than Jesus Christ. Like Jesus Christ's line of authority for his fullness of the priesthood, it, it comes directly from the Father. And mine comes direct from, directly from the Father as well as the Mashiach or the Messiah ben Joseph or the witness of the Father and the Son. So another thing that that, um, so in the beginning of the restoration, there was something called the law of adoption where people were sealed to Joseph Smith directly. Um, men were sealed to Joseph Smith directly. So were women, by the way. But um, this was done away with by Wilfred Woodruff, who did not understand these things for some reason in the 1890s. So in the beginning of the restoration, when Joseph Smith was sealed up to Jesus Christ, he got his calling and election, and he became the one man on earth that people had to get their sealings through. And this is for the law of adoption. And it basically what this does is it completes a chain link back to Father Adam. So Father Adam is sealed to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is sealed to Joseph Smith. And all they who are sealed to Joseph Smith are sealed to the Father through the Son and through the prophet. The same thing happened with uh, Peter, James, and John. People who are sealed to them were sealed to Jesus Christ through the chain back to the Father. In this last portion of this celestial dispensation of the history of this earth, people are sealed to me, and through me, they're sealed to the Father directly. And my work is to testify of these things. And it's not particularly a pleasant work. Um, I think people expect me to be different than who I am. I, I'm a man. I'm a mortal man. I'm not part God, part man like Jesus Christ was. He was part terrestrial, part celestial. I was raised um, by um, many different people, actually. And uh, I was raised in very hard situations. Um, and, and Jesus Christ told me when I talked to him in 2003 after the Father sealed me up into himself, he told me that all those things that I went through, he allowed me to go through for his wise purpose that I might turn to him. 
that I might be made into the servant that he needed me, he needed me to be. So I went through a very hard, difficult um, childhood, teenage years, even into my young, uh, my young adult years. But Jesus said, all these things that you've gone through, I, I have allowed you to go through that you might become the servant that I need you to be. So anyway, let's get back into the reading. Um, let's see. Further explanation by Brigham Young describes the mission or work of Anne Adam and Anne Eve. Have they, speaking of the gods, to go to that earth? Yes. And Adam will have to go there. And he cannot go without Eve. He must have Eve to commence the work of generation. And they will go into the garden and continue to eat and drink of the fruits of the corporeal world until this grosser matter is diffused sufficiently through their celestial bodies to enable them, according to the established laws, to produce mortal tabernacles for their spiritual children. This is a key for you. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 275. See, here Brigham Young um, clarifies that we are the spiritual children of Adam and Eve. Not just the physical children. And I've explained in my uh, explanation of the progression of the gods that Michael was a redeemer on an older earth. An older earth that we all lived on. And when he paid for our sins on that world, we became his children. And it's the same as this world. Jesus Christ is the redeemer of this world and Michael became the Adam of this world. That's how Adam is the first Adam and uh, Michael's the first Adam and Jesus is the second Adam. When Jesus Christ paid for our sins and transgressions in the Garden of Gethsemane and we accept of his offering and become his followers, we become literally his spiritual children. And when this earth becomes a fire of sea and glass, as spoken of in the book of Revelation, and a new earth is created, which is spoken of in the book of Revelation, this earth will become a pre-existence to that earth. And we will have the opportunity to put off our resurrection to go on to a new world to gain the experiences that we need to gain a higher resurrection. And this is the process of becoming more holy to receive the higher resurrection, to go through all of these experiences that you might one day become like God is. This is the progression of the gods. This is the doctrine of multiple mortal probations. And this is how we became the spiritual children of Adam and Eve. And when they partook of the fruit as exalted beings on this earth, their 
exaltation, their celestial uh, resurrection, was diminished so that they eventually had blood infused in their veins to the point where they could bring forth children in the flesh into this world. And this is all part of the restoration that that part of knowing who we are and knowing where we come from and knowing our potential that was part of the restoration which Joseph Smith taught Brigham Young and others. And it's true. And this knowledge had been lost and in in its vain efforts to become more like the world, the church has rejected these doctrines and they call Brigham Young a heretic, claiming that he taught heresies. And they claim that others taught those heresies. And that would include Joseph Smith, but they try to hide the the quotes about Joseph Smith and what he talked about these things, because Brigham Young did get these things from Joseph Smith, and then he learned them by revelation as well. Confirmation of the Spirit, same way I learned it. So Adam and Eve come to produce mortal tabernacles or bodies for their spirit children. This is a key for you. And once again, that's in Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 275. Adam and Eve are the names of the fathers and mothers of worlds. These were father and mother of a world of spirits who had been born to them in heaven. And that comes from Women of Mormondom, page 180. Adam and Eve are the are the parents of all pertaining to the flesh, and I would not say that they are not also the parents of our spirits. And that comes from um, Brigham Young as well. That's Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 290. This is certainly a different concept from what the sectarian ministers of the world are teaching, but they are they all seem to agree that Adam was immortal before he came to earth. The law was in was in force that he that if he partook of the forbidden fruit, he would die. In other words, if he did not partake of it, he would not die. He was immortal. And we're on page 173 at 30. 3% through the re- reading for today. The key to the identity of Adam is in that sp- scriptural immortal beings are usually resurrected beings and and any immortal beings who generates children is a god. Brigham Young expounded this doctrine, quote, Adam was an immortal being when he came to this earth. They had lived on an earth similar to ours. He had received the priesthood and the keys thereof 
and had been faithful in all things and had gained resurrection and his exaltation and was crowned with glory, immortality, and eternal lives. That's plural, lives. And was numbered with the gods for such he was through his faithfulness. He had had he had he had begotten all the spirits that that were to come to this earth. Brigham Young is quoted in the L. John Nuttall Journal, page or volume one, page eighteen. Adam was as conversant with his father who placed him upon this earth as we are consistent with our own earthly fires. I'm sorry. Uh, as we are conversant with our, our own own earthly parents. The father frequently came to visit his son Adam and talked with him. And the children of Adam were more or less acquainted with their grandfather and their children were, were more or less acquainted with their great-grandfather. Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 148. An Eve for Every World Therefore, Michael becomes Adam to fulfill a special mission to set the stage for his children on the earth. What about Eve? Brigham Young said she was called Eve because she was the first woman upon the earth. Deseret News, June 18, 1873. He further commented on the woman in the church who would become Eve's. Quote, Before me I see a house full of Eve's. What a crowd of reflections the word Eve is calculated to bring up. Eve was the name or title conferred upon our first mother. And we're on page 174 um, at 42%. Because she was actually to be the mother of all human beings who should live upon this earth. I am looking upon a congregation designed to be just such beings. Millennial Star Volume 31, page 267. Now, i got to get into this other topic just real quick. There, So, I have studied restoration theology from the Brighamites and from other sects of, of restoration, but a lot of fundamentalists uh, who've broken off from the mainstream church. And some of them have this doctrine where um, they talk about the children of Lilith or Cain. And I don't believe it. Uh, I know that there's traditions about it, even within Jewish literature. But um, I believe Brigham Young was right when Eve is called the mother of all living. And that there's not two different groups of people as far as having different parents who are on this earth. I personally believe that we are all, all of us who are humans on this earth, all of us, even those people who, like some people will call, well, Lilith 
was the mother of all the lizard people. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> um, I believe that Eve was called Eve because she is the mother of all living humans who are of intelligent design who were placed upon this earth through her, our common mother. And this whole idea about Lilith and about uh, lizard people or reptilians, I don't believe it. Uh, but some fundamentalists, they've got some really interesting, very strange doctrines. Not all of them, not all of them have these these ideas, but there are groups of fundamentalists out there who have these really strange ideas. And uh, I think that they just, um, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know why they they believe that. Um, but uh, some fundamentalists have uh, some added things that they did not get from Brigham Young or Joseph Smith. Um, and I think that they're going off the mark. Um, the law of purity being one of them. And I'm not going to get onto that particular topic in this um, podcast other than the way I understand it. There's a couple different ways to understand it, but the basic way in which I understand it is that if you have uh, plural wives, that you only have sex with them in order to bring uh, children into this world, not for any other reason, and that once a woman uh, cannot have children any- anymore, you do not uh, sleep with her, which um, Abraham still slept with Sarai, or Abram, who who became Sarah and Abraham, you know, or else Isaac would never have been born. And she was barren for years and years, but they still had a sexual relationship. You know, um, and I just, I, I find it convoluted. I find it messed up that that these polygamous, polygamous men will have these wives and then they'll get a new wife and then they won't have sex with their old wife anymore. Um, I don't. I, I, I actually think that's against Torah because in Torah we're given instructions on polygamy and in Torah we're, we're told that uh, if you do take a second wife that you are required to provide for all of your wives and all of their children in their marriage duties, which includes the sexual uh, component of marriage, but also uh, in clothing them and feeding them and providing a home for them, a house over their, their head. That's a requirement. So somebody who would not be able to do that would not be able, would not be allowed under the Torah to take upon themselves a second wife. Now, I know I'm going a little bit off into the weeds with this, but just because you feel like you should be a polygamist doesn't mean you should. I personally believe that the only ones who should take upon themselves multiple wives are those who have been directly instructed by God and had confirmation of the Spirit, both they and their their wife or wives, have to get the confirmation or you should not ever be even open to the idea of polygamy. Well, you can be open to it. Like, I'm open to it. Um, 
but I will not live it unless God reveals that I should. Uh, because it's a very serious thing that the that the law, unless specifically instructed, is monogamy, and that there's a reason for plural celestial marriage, but that that even though there is a reason for it, that we should all um, maintain one wife and not be uh, going and, and getting married and having sex with multiple women unless we are instructed to do so by God. So what Abraham did when Sarai, um, or Sarai, uh, who became Sarah, she gave her maidservant to Abraham and said, have a child, and then that child's name was Ishmael. That was incorrect. He should not have done that. And some people will call that the law of Sarah, but he should not have done that. He should have waited upon God and received confirmation or instructions from God that that was a correct thing to do, uh, in my opinion. Anyway, continuing on with this reading. Consequentially, every faithful woman who gains the highest resurrection in the celestial kingdom will first bear spirit children then she will come to an earth and charge her system with blood to bear mortal tabernacles she is rightfully called the mother of all living this grand promise to women is nearly overwhelming to consider and real quick brigham young didn't have did not have a correct understanding of this we do not have celestial sex in the celestial kingdom to bear a whole bunch of spirit children who have never had tabernacles before. Jesus Christ became the father of all who accepted of his atonement. And by Jesus Christ's wife, Mary, she became the mother of those people. So our father in a sense, is Jesus Christ who adopted us and his wife is Mary Magdalene. Michael was a redeemer on an older earth and his wife was Ashura. And because she was his wife and he became our father spiritually, she becomes our mother spiritually. And when she becomes an Eve and he becomes an Adam, we become their children physically. But continu uh, continuing on, this is Brigham Young. I ask this question of you, Mother Eves. One of you, or every one of you, if you are not sanctified and prepared, you ought to be sanctifying and preparing yourselves for the blessings in store for which when it will be said of you, this is Eve. Why? Because you are the mother of all living. You might as well prepare first as last. If you wish to be Eves and mothers of the human families, you ought to bear the burden. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 12, page 97. Many of the sisters grieve because they are not blessed with offspring. 
you will see a time when you will have millions millions of children around you. If you are faithful to your covenants, you will become mothers of nations. You will become eaves to earths like this. And when you have assisted in peopling one earth, there are millions of earths still in the course of creation. And when they have endured a thousand million times longer than this earth, it is only, as it were, the beginning of your creations. Be careful, and if you are not blessed with children in this time, you will be hereafter. But I would not dare to tell you all I know about these matters. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 208. I don't know we're on page 175 at 50% through the reading for today. What a monumental work for those who become an Adam and an Eve. The first dispensation. The fall of Adam, or Michael, and the redemption of Christ were meant to work together. Paul says, quote, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, speaking of Jesus Christ, was made a quickening spirit. The first man is of the earth, earthly, so we become his physically. The second man is the Lord from heaven, and we become his spiritually through the law of adoption. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 and 47. Adam's fall was from heavenly to earthly, and Christ's sacrifice was restoring from earthly to heavenly. Not all sermons about Adam refer to the office or station, but sometimes refer to the person who filled that position. Consider the following from the prophet Joseph Smith. The priesthood was first given to Adam. He obtained the first presidency, and he's talking about Adam is the first president of this earth, and held the keys from it, or keys of it, from generation to generation. That was Joseph Smith, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 157. Now, God revealed to me many years ago that for each earth, there is an Elohim, who is assigned to this earth by the council of the Elohim who are under the direction of God, the Eternal Father. Our Elohim is Jehovah, not Jesus. Jesus and Jehovah are two different individuals. And I talked about that before. Um, Moses chapter 1 verse 6 and Ether chapter 3 talk about, like Jesus said, never at any time have I showed myself unto man, but Jehovah had. And that was before the flood, when Jehovah had appeared to many before the flood. But Jesus, after the flood, said to Mohanari Mori, I've never appeared to anyone before. And then Jehovah in, in Moses chapter 1, verse 6, Jehovah's talking to Moses. And Jehovah tells Moses, Moses, you are in the very similitude of my only begotten son. So Jesus and Jehovah, two separate people. Moses being in the similitude of Jehovah's only begotten son, which is Jesus Christ. 
So now that I've got that cleared up. So under the direction of Jehovah, our Elohim is the first presidency of this earth. It's kind of like with the church. Jesus is over the prophet, seers, and revelators of the first presidency. And then you've got the guy in charge and you've got his two counselors. It's the same way. It's the same setup for this earth. So the president of this earth is Michael. He has obtained the first presidency and held the keys of it from generation to generation. He's it. Michael Adam is the president of this earth and his two counselors, his two messiahs or his two witnesses are first Jesus Christ, the first witness and and apostle of the father. He's an eyewitness of the father. <clears throat> He says, I've, I've done, I do nothing except for what I see the Father do. He is the Messiah of Judah. He is the bright and morning star. He is the first counselor for this earth. And the second counselor is Messiah ben Joseph, who is the second witness of the Father who has seen and embraced him and is an ordained apostle of the Father himself. That's how Jesus Christ is an apostle. Not of himself, but of the Father. And that's how I am an apostle. Because I have seen him face to face and embraced him in the flesh. And I have been set apart and ordained under his very own hands to be his second witness or second counselor. And under the direction of the, the first presidency are 12 who are called mighty and strong. And uh, Michael coming down in the first dispensation as an Adam had four who assisted him in the first dispensation or the first generation of this earth. And they are Enoch, Noah, Moses, and Elijah. John the Baptist started as an Elias to prepare the way for the coming of the first witness of the Father in the meridian of time, the bright morning star, who we call Jesus, but his name was Yeshua. And in his time, John the Baptist came as one mighty and strong, and Peter, James, and John came as one mighty and strong to assist in that dispensation the dispensation of the meridian of time. Joseph Smith came as one mighty and strong who was an Elias for the second witness of the Father to prepare the way for Zion to be redeemed, to lay the foundation, so that in due time, the witness of the Father and the Son, Messiah ben Joseph, the evening star, could come and build up the kingdom so that there would be a redemption. And there are three that assist who are also mighty and strong in this endeavor at this time. And under them are the 70s who are the noble and great ones, all of the rest of the prophets, all of they who have held the priesthood in any authority upon this earth. And there are great 
a great many of them. But the same way that the church is set up is the same way this earth is set up in that under the direction of God, the Eternal Father, there are the Elohim or the mighty exalted ones. They chose Jehovah, our Elohim, who was a savior on an older earth and an Adam on an older earth to bring Michael to create this earth. We learned that in the temple endowment. Jehovah assists Michael and instructs him on how to do the work and Michael does the work. He is God the creator or God the father. He becomes the Adam of this world. Under his direction are his two counselors who are God the Redeemer, who is Jesus Christ and God the Witness. It's the same setup. And we are at the end of time at, at this time. We are preparing for Zion to be redeemed. This is the time when the remnant comes out and there's going to be a lot of Judas goats who lead the people astray. But there are people being prepared at this time to do all that God has all that God has commanded. Which in order for Zion to return and for the, the church of the firstborn in Adam and Yaman, there first has to be a people on the earth who will live all that God has commanded. And I know God is preparing a people at this time. Continuing on, Adam holds the keys of the dispensation of the fullness of times. The dispensation of all the times have been and will be revealed through him. Meaning, he holds the keys of all dispensations, and they are revealed through him. That's Joseph Smith, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 167. This, then, is the nature of the priesthood. Every man holding the presidency of his dispensation and one man holding the presidency of them all, even Adam. That's Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 169. He, speaking of Adam, is the father of the human family and presides over the spirits of all men. Doctrinal History of the Church, volume 3, page 387. See, he is the president of this earth. He's the leader. He had dominion given him over every living creature. Teaching of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 157. Or on page 176 at 59% through the reading for today. The keys of the priesthood have to be brought from heaven whenever the gospel is sent. When they are revealed from heaven, it is by Adam's authority because he's the president of this earth. He is the father of, of all living. He's God the Father. And that's Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 157. Brigham Young learned the importance of the role from Joseph Smith. Quote, Our father Adam 
is the man who stands at the gate and holds the keys of everlasting life and salvation to all his children who have or ever will come upon the earth. I could not find any man on the earth who could tell me this, although it was one of the simplest things in the world until I met and talked with Joseph Smith. And that comes from Brigham Young, Deseret News, June 18, 1873. Brother Brigham could have been referring to the information he learned from the prophet uh, Joseph, such as everlasting covenant was made between three personages before the organization of this earth and relates to their dispensations of all things to, to men on this earth. These personages, according to Abraham's record, are called God the First, the Creator. Michael is the Creator. Under the direction of Jehovah, who showed him how to do the work, Michael did the work. He's the one that named the plants and the animals. He did the work of organizing this earth. And this is Joseph Smith saying this, but continuing on with Joseph Smith. God the second, the Redeemer, that's Yeshua or Jesus Christ, as we call him in English, and God the third, the witness or testator. And that's, that is the true uh, calling and the true name of the Holy Ghost, God the witness or the testator. Teaching of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 190. This statement there was a quorum of three personages or three gods who took part in planning for this earth and it refers to their dispensations. Each one of these gods had a dispensation on the earth. In the beginning, it was God the first, the creator who had the first dispensation. This had to be Adam. Then another dispensation came with God the second, the Redeemer. This was Jesus Christ. And finally came God the third, or the witness or testator. And the third member of the, of the Godhead, according to um, Ogden Crowder's Joseph Smith, uh, who was the witness or testator of the Father and the Son. But I could say Stephen was a witness of the Father and the Son too, because before he's stoned, he sees the Father and Jesus standing in his right hand. Also, that there's some other things that contradict this idea. This this idea that Joseph Smith is the third member of the, the Godhead, it contradicts the lecture at the Grove, which is the last lecture that Joseph Smith gave, where Joseph Smith talked about God the Witness being a spirit being at that time, not a physical being. Joseph Smith also said that God the Witness is yet a spirit being waiting to take himself a body to come to do the same or similar things as Jesus Christ did. Also in Doctrine and Covenants section 130, Jesus Christ tells Joseph Smith God the Witness is a spirit, not yet having a body at that point. Also, I think it's DNC section 50 um, where God the Witness is actually speaking to Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith had seen the Father and the Son in the spring of 1820, but he had never seen God the Witness. And at the end of that revelation, it says, And the day shall come 
talking to Joseph, when you shall see me and know that I am. This is God the witness speaking in the spirit, giving a revelation to Joseph Smith, who had not yet come on the earth. See, Joseph Smith was a John the Baptist type of figure. He was an Elias. He is not God the witness. He did not embrace the Father and the Son. He is not an apostle of the Father. There's some other things that escape my memory at this time, but like they're right on the tip of my tongue. But I think that this suffices. Uh, of course, people who believe these incorrect lies, um, there's a principle that goes along with this in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. All they who believe the lie receive strong delusion that they all might be damned because they don't love the truth. They believe it because somebody else taught it to them. They're given strong delusion because they don't go and find out if it contradicts anything else. Remember, in the times and seasons of April 1844, Joseph Smith said, if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you have to set them down as imposters. Well, this definitely contradicts the Doctrine and Covenants, section 130, which it has a second uh, a second witness to that, which is a lecture at the Grove, which basically says the same thing. So some people will say, well, William Clayton, he's the one who uh, penned DNC section 130, and we can't trust him because whatever reason they give. But the lecture at the Grove talks about this. DNC section 150 talks about this. And... Um, and there's other things that talk about this as well, including the quotes from Joseph Smith himself. God the witness is yet a spirit being waiting to take himself a body to come do the same or similar things as Jesus did. So, um, so, but like getting back to this reading here, so we're on page 177 at 68%. So he saw the Father and the Son. So, yeah, he did. Uh, so did Paul, actually. Or Paul saw the Son. He did not embrace him. He was one of the seven. He was not one of the twelve. You know, and, and uh, he bore witness to the world as a prophet and testator. So here the prophet Joseph make, makes a clear distinct, distinction between God the Creator, Adam, and God the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So, and like I said, like there was some ideas excuse me, uh, that um, I think that even John Taylor thought that Joseph Smith was probably God the witness. Uh, this is just folklore. It's their ideas. They're not really sure. Um, and their opinions, you know, but they don't have any confirmation of the spirit. And they also contradict Joseph Smith's own words and uh, scripture. So, throughout his life, Brigham Young elaborated on the position of Adam and his role in the creation, such as Elohim looks around upon the eternity of matter and said to his associates, talking to the Elohim, 
and then and those that he he was pleased to call upon at that time for his counselors with regard to the elements the worlds the planets kingdoms and thrones and he said Jehovah Michael Jehovah and Michael see the eternal matter on all sides this way and that way we have already created worlds upon worlds shall we create another world yes go and organize the elements in yonder space not empty space for there is no such thing once in a while earthquakes and extensive destruction of combustible matter by fire will come nigh upon make uh, will come nigh making empty space for perhaps the millionth part of a second yehovah Michael, go and create a world, make it, organize it, form it, and then put upon it every everything in all variety that you have seen, that you have been in the habit of being associated with in the in other worlds of beasts, birds, fowls, fish, and every insect and creeping thing, and finally when the whole eternity of element is full of life bring it together and make of it living creatures jehovah michael goes and does as he is told what i am now going to tell you will no doubt astonish you astonish the whole of you when jehovah and Michael, because they're not the same person. But anyway, when Jehovah Michael had organized the world and brought from another kingdom the bish, the beasts, fish, fowl, and insects, and every tree and plant with which we are acquainted, and thousands that we never saw, then he had filled the earth with animals and vegetable life. Michael or Adam goes down to the new made earth, the new man made, I'm sorry, goes down to the new man world, the new made world. Oh my gosh, I'm having a problem. I need to take a break, but I'm going to finish this part. And there he stays. Teachings of the prophet Brigham Young, or Teachings of Brigham Young, volume 3, page 356. So we're on page 178 at 79%. Note, it is interesting that in this particular passage, Brigham, Brigham Young refers to Jehovah Michael as one being rather than two. And I think that was just a... Michael is Adam. Jehovah is an Elohim. Elohim is a plural for gods. But it also means mighty ones or exalted ones. <clears throat> when Father Adam came to assist in organizing the earth out of the crude material that was found, an earth was made upon which the children of men could live. After the earth was prepared, Father Adam came and stayed here, and there was a woman brought to him, that was his wife, there is no doubt but that he left many companions 
and great glorious doc and the great and glorious doctrine that pertains to this I have not time to dwell upon, neither should I present I at present if I had time. He understood this whole machinery or system before he came to this earth. And I hope my brethren and sisters will profit by what I have told them. And that is Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 16, page 167. Though we have, have it in history that our father Adam was made out of the dust of this earth, and that he knew nothing about his God previous to being made here, that's what the Christians teach, yet it is not so. And when we learn the truth, we shall see and understand that he helped to make this world and was the chief manager in that operation, that he, Michael Adam, was the person who brought the animals and seeds from other planets to this world and brought a wife with him and stayed here. You may read and believe what you please as to what is found written in the Bible. Adam was made from the dust of an earth, but not the dust of this earth. Now, what does that mean? So we are all made from the dust of an earth. Being born into mortality, our mothers take upon themselves flesh and uh, flesh and and plant life from this earth and they consume it. And from those elements that uh, the animals, they eat the plant life that comes from the ground, right? So plant life grows up, animals eat it, mankind eats plants and animals, and the fetuses that are in the womb, they are created and maintained from the dust of an earth. So we are created from the dust of an earth. Adam had a mother on an older earth when he was Michael. When he was in mortality, he he had, before he was a redeemer, his mother partook of the, the, the plant life and the animal life of that earth, and he was made from that as as a as a an infant from the womb when he was in the position of becoming a redeemer his mother partook of the fruit of that earth the plant life and the animal life of that earth and his father in heaven who was an adam for that world who was a terrestrial being impregnated his mother and when Michael was born he was born like Jesus Christ part terrestrial part telestial after his resurrection after the atonement on that older earth He was never born again, and he never will be born again to a woman. Much the same way that Jesus Christ will never be born to a woman again. When he was resurrected and exalted, 
the next time he comes down upon an earth will be like Michael. He will bring one of his wives, who is an exalted being, with himself, who is an exalted being, and they will partake of the corporeal fruit and of this earth, and they will... Um, Blood will infuse in their veins. See, there's plasma or light infused in exalted beings now. But they will descend from an exalted level down to a terrestrial level, and then finally down to a terrestrial level where they will be able to have blood in their veins to create human life so that their spiritual children can become their physical children. So when it talks, when Brigham Young's talking about Michael not being made of the dust of this earth, that's what he's talking about. The last time Michael was born to a woman was on the earth where he became a redeemer. Same, same the way, it's the same way as Jesus Christ. And that the fact that Michael finished his work on that older earth and became a redeemer and was exalted, meaning he will never be born of woman again. Meaning the dust of this earth is not the, the dust of his flesh. And when Jesus Christ becomes an Adam, the dust of this earth that we live on is the dust of the earth that he would last become the dust of, basically. Continuing on, he was made as you and I are made. And no person was ever made upon any other principle. <clears throat> Do you not suppose that he was acquainted with his associates who came and helped to make this earth? Yes, and we're on page 179 at 87%. Yes, they were just as familiar with each other as we are We are with our children and parents. Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 319. We say Father Adam came here and helped to make an earth. Who is he? He is Michael. A great prince and it was said to him by the Elohim go ye and make an earth what is the great mystery about it he came and formed the earth or organized it Adam came here and got it up in shape that would suit him to commence business. What is the great mystery about it? None that I have seen. The mystery is this. As with miracles or anything else, is only to those who are ignorant. And that's from Deseret News, volume 22, page 308. The great secret behind the creation and its creator 
was revealed through the mission and work of Adam. As Brigham Young explained, quote, He, speaking of Adam, is Michael, the archangel. The Ancient of Days About whom holy men have written and spoken. He is our Father and our God and the only God with whom we have to do. That's Michael. That is our Father, Michael. That is the Adam God doctrine that was taught before the church decided that they wanted to become friends with the world and go away from the deeper truths of the restoration to give up their birthright, to give up the truth, and then to call Brigham Young a heretic. Bruce R. McConkie talked about the seven deadly heresies of Brigham Young. He was calling him a heretic. But the church has also taught that the leaders of the church cannot lead you astray, right? It was originally uh, penned by Wilfred Woodruff because they did away with plural celestial marriage. They did away with united orders. They did away with the law of consecration. They did away with um, the, the kingdom of God on the earth or the Council of Fifty. They did away with the law of adoption. They did away with rebaptisms. They did away with gathering to Israel. They did away with a lot of stuff. Which caused a great commotion in the church. And Wilfred Woodruff told the people, I, the prophet, cannot lead you astray. It is not in the plan. And the leaders of the church will say, we cannot lead you astray. But then they go back and they say, well, Brigham Young led you astray in false doctrine. Brigham Young was the leader of the church from 1845, I think, until 1877, longer than anyone else, period, including Joseph Smith. And the modern church will try to debunk what was taught in the early church by him and Heber C. Kimball and many others. But ultimately, they're going to come down and they're going to say, Brigham Young, if he taught that, he was leading the church astray. Which begs the question, if they think that Brigham Young could lead the church astray, but then they ask you to trust them because they can't, what's the difference? This might be hard for some people to understand because they have been taught lies and they receive strong delusion that they all might be damned because they do not love the truth. And it's one of the things that I have been called to set in order in the minds of those who will become the remnant. They have to understand 
the correct relation between themselves and God. And this is the only way that they're going to correctly do that. Every man upon the earth, professing Christian or non-professing, must hear it. And we'll know it sooner or later, that Adam is God the Father. He is God the Creator. He is the God that we have to do with. He is the physical Father of Jesus Christ through Mary, but also when when Adam, when Michael Adam at the end of his life, he had that great sacrament in Adam and on Diamond, and then he was translated from a terrestrial to a terrestrial being. And he was taken off the earth and he waited. Until the meridian of time when when the first his first counselor had come down to the earth, his son, his only begotten son. And he impregnated Mary as a terrestrial being with a celestial wife because Mary was sealed to the father. Mary is one of the wives of, of Michael, but also a wife of Joseph. That's where polyandry comes in, and there's a doctrine for that too. It's not just polygamy. There is polyandry in certain circumstances. So Mary being the wife of Michael, who is Adam, who is called God the Creator or God the First, is impregnated and brings forth Jesus or Yeshua with part telestial blood and part terrestrial blood in order that he might overcome death so all of the sins of the world would come upon him at a certain point in his life. And as it was tearing him apart in the in the flesh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was able to heal himself to overcome those things and then seal it upon the crucifixion stake or the cross. Jesus Christ is the son of Michael, and Michael is called God the First or the Creator. He was the one under the direction of of Jehovah to organize and create this earth. Continuing, I tell you more. Adam is the father of our spirits. And how did he become the father of our spirits? Because he paid for our sins on an older earth. Much the same way that Jesus Christ did, and we become the spiritual children of Jesus Christ by partaking and accepting his atonement, he accepting us. He lived upon an earth. He did abide his creation and did honor to his calling and priesthood and obeyed his master or Lord, and probably many of his wives did the same.
and they lived and died upon an earth and then were resurrected again to immortality and eternal life. That comes from Teachings of Brigham Young, Volume 3, page 357 and 358. And now we are, I think, the last page of this chapter, page 180. And then we've got two more chapters and we'll be done with this book. The conclusion of the work of Adam and Eve on this earth was not death, but they returned to the spirit world from whence they came, which was not the dust of the earth. So said Brigham Young. I, I got to say this real quick. They did not return to the spirit world without their bodies. So as a prophet, seer, and revelator set the house of God in order as the one mighty and strong to do these things, who I am. I have been shown many things. At the end of of Adam's life with his wife Ashura, or Eve, they were taken up and they were translated and became terrestrial beings. And they waited. And when Jesus Christ broke the bands of death and sin and he corrected the fall, which was part of the necessary plan, on the day of first fruits, the day when he was resurrected, Jesus first goes to Mary, Mary or Miriam, his wife, Mary Magdalene. And he says, hold me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father, speaking of Father Adam, and to my God or my Elohim and your God or your Elohim, speaking of Jehovah, our Elohim. When Jesus went to Michael, he brought him back to an exalted level with his mother, his wife, uh, with Adam's wife, Hava or, or Ashura, Eve. And that is how they went, and they, they don't have to be resurrected again. Adam will never die. Adam is an exalted being whose true name is Michael. And Ashura, she's the one who became Eve. And the devil will take that name and he will try to turn it into paganism and all kinds of other things to attack Michael's wife to attack our mother in heaven. Continuing on, so this is Brigham Young. For when Adam and Eve got through with their work on this earth, they did not lay their bodies down in the dust, 
but return to the spirit world from whence they came. And that comes from L. John Nuttall's journal, volume 1, page page 21. This, then, is the work of an exalted being, to produce spirit children and then create an earth for them so they can experience mortality. Then he must step down or fall so he can produce mortal bodies for his spirit children. This was the role of Michael who became Adam and is the role of every righteous man who becomes a god. And then an Adam on other worlds. So that's the end of that chapter. Um, Chapter 19 begins on page 181. And it's the second to last chapter. There's 20 chapters in this book. But that chapter, when we get back into it, will be called the eternal destiny. I'm sorry, the eternal destiny of Earth and man. So I hope that I was able to explain that in greater detail than that. Maybe you've heard it before. Um, Excuse me. I do enjoy teaching this, although it is kind of hard sometimes. Like. You know, I'm still trying to recover from my days on as uh, an oil field truck driver. Um, I'm only 46, but I got my Class A CDL in 1995, and I actually started driving truck in 1994. And then, um, so all of these years of being a truck driver, except for when I went on my mission, um, it just beat me down. And then I did hard work when I was a kid, too. Like, my grandparents that raised me, my grandfather lost both of his legs in World War II below the knee. And uh, when I was a kid, he bought an opal mine in Spencer, or near Spencer, Idaho. And my job was to carry rock buckets for him and tools and jackhammers and sledgehammers and pick hammers and uh, all kinds of other stuff. But then my job also was to walk in front of him so he could put his hands on my shoulders and kind of balance on these wooden legs that he that he got. And I would go down into the mine with him, which is an open pit mine. It wasn't going into tunnels or anything. And then um, we would bust up rocks with sledgehammers and we had safety glasses on and we had gloves on. Because opal's like glass, and it'll um, give you splinters, kind of like wood, but opal glass. Anyway, so we'd break it apart, and then we'd fill up these rock buckets, and my job was to take the rock buckets up to the truck. My job was also to bring the air compressor hoses down for the jackhammers, and we had 35-pound jackhammers, 50-pound jackhammers, and handheld jackhammers. And we also had drills and all kinds of stuff because we did blow things up with dynamite, which is fun. But, um, and then, like, when I was about, I guess about eight, well, that's when I was eight. I don't remember exactly what age I was when he started paying me, but, like, we had to do, I think I was 12, 
We had to chop wood for half an hour every day. So that was between my, me and my cousins, one hour of chopping wood a day. We had to cut the stones with the diamond saw and, and cut them right to make the opals. And we had, to, well, we had other chores. We had to go get the water from the well because we did not have fresh running water in the house up on the Continental Divide. We did not have water treatment facility. Um, so we had a deep water well. And which was on the outside of the house, so we'd have to go and get water to bring it in the house to uh, to drink and to cook with. So, like, we had a lot of jobs, and like taking the trash out, doing the lawn, whatever. Anyway, so like, I've been working hard my entire life, but because of driving a truck, my body has been beat down. In fact, I actually have a spine. A pain um, management appointment today. Um, they might have to burn my nerves because the cortisone shot that goes into my back that makes it so I'm able to function, it's not lasting very long. It's supposed to last a minimum of three months. Mine lasts maybe a month. And then the last, this month, from November 2nd all the way to for 12 days to the 14th, I think I, and then before this too, like I, like my back has started getting really bad where it hurts to the point where I have to use a cane and a wheelchair sometimes. And, um, right now I'm doing good. I was able to go to work for four days last week, but I had 12 days off where I was not able to work because I couldn't, I couldn't walk. And then my wife had a medical emergency, and that also messed things up. But um, I have degenerative disc disease, which basically means all of the pads in my spine because of the three-plus million miles of driving a truck around North America. My, my spine has been compressed. I'm actually shorter now than I was when I was younger because of it. And it's getting to the point where I might have to have um, operations done to fuse my spine because it's pretty painful. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, but so like my days when I'm off, I'm trying to recover and get to the point where I can go back to work because I still have a family to support. And, and by the way, I love my job. I just don't like the pain that my job causes. So on the second day of me driving, um, I'll start to get a knot in my back around my kidney. And then the second day, it'll be on both sides of my back. And then by the third and fourth day, or no, like that's the second day and then the third day. And then the fourth day, it'll be all the way around to where it affects my stomach as well. And my doctor told me that that was nerve damage that is being exacerbated by driving. And my first day off, I'll be in so much pain that I can't do hardly anything. And I'm taking muscle relaxers and... Um, 
all this other kind of anti-inflammatories to like try to stop it, which they do help some. But um, you know, I'm I'm uh, trying to recover from that. I'm trying to do stuff at the house when I can because uh, I've got lots of stuff to do. Like yesterday was my second day, and I was able to. Um, there's a light that was in the dining room that we moved the, we're making the dining room like it's kit, uh, kitchen and a dining room all in one room. And we're going to make it into just a big kitchen. And there was this chandelier type like that hang, hung down and I run into it all the time with my head. Well, in our stairway, which is very high at the top, there was this light that like just hung down a little bit. So I took that one off and I, I put it in the dining room and I took the chandelier light and I put it up in the top of the stairway where the the stairs are. But I, I was able to do that yesterday. I was able to do some things. Um, but I'm still tired. And so like doing these programs, it does get tiring. I do yawn a lot. Um, I wish that I could be more awake. Um, I'm doing the best that I can. And I don't feel like um, it's the greatest, but it's kind of what I'm, I'm dealing with. So anyway, um, I wish I was better, actually. I wish I, I wish I did better. I just I'm not very good at this, um, although I am a ton better than I used to be. So. Anyway, um, I think we're going to leave it at that point. Um, I will get the program onto YouTube because uh, I can't share the Blog Talk radio links anymore because Facebook is freaking out about them, saying that they are, um, I don't know what they call them, some kind of cybersecurity problem. And they've actually told me that I violated their rules and stuff by posting. Even though I've posted hundreds and hundreds of video or of uh, podcasts over the years in my platforms, all of a sudden I can't do it anymore. So I gotta transfer it over to YouTube, which is fine because people like YouTube, and I, whatever, I understand that. So, but it takes time. You know, I've been doing this for almost two hours. I'm gonna have to sit here for another two hours and go through and screenshot or screen record as I'm listening to my recording to get it ready for the YouTube. You know, this this takes a lot of time to do. So hopefully I'll be able to get this out today and then, uh, and then I'll be able to get another one out tomorrow. Uh, and maybe with any luck, I'll be able to get another one out the next day. But I don't think I will because I actually drive in the daytime now since it's winter so I started I have to leave the yard by 10 a.m which means I have to get up at five in the morning um, to get everything ready and then to go to work and then to load everything up and make sure all of my fittings and all of my hoses and all of my tools and everything is right before I leave the yard by 10 a.m so anyway that's where I'm at in life and uh, I'm just thankful for those of you who do listen um I hope that you'll learn something from it, and I hope that you don't just trust that I'm telling you the truth, that you go to your Father in Heaven to make sure that the things that you are hearing are true, 
are the things that you are interpreting because like sometimes people will hear me say something and then they will interpret it a different way um it's just kind of the way things go with more immortality so it's really important to take what you believe to the father and to get confirmation on that before you believe it 100 percent. so don't just trust in the man in the flesh which i am which everyone is but go to god and seek his spirit to teach you truth so anyway thank you for watching or thank you for listening everyone take care everyone god bless and goodbye